0: This is the podcast for April 20th, 2012. It's not safe for work.
1: Recorded live from the research and development division of Mitt Romney's vast left wing conspiracy, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal.
0: Hello, everyone.
1: Hello, people.
0: Ha- happy, happy weekend, happy April. Happy, happy 420. Me. I guess that's a joke.
1: 420 uh, on a wet and rainy, and uh, wet and rainy, that's not redundant, and, <laughs> and kind of cold yeah. afternoon, well, late morning here in the beautiful Midwest, where we have discovered there are indeed liberals south of I-80 in Illinois.
0: Yeah, so, we went to we had a great time at drinking liberally. We sure Over did. spring break when we had no kids and didn't need a babysitter. We'll do that well, again over the summer.
1: We were oh, welcomed cool. like lodge brothers and sisters. And, we really uh,
0: were. It was great. Yeah. It was great. We enjoyed it. Although I love what one person said, like bloggers can't marry other bloggers. One of you has to be a doctor. You can't huh? afford to live as bloggers. What's wrong with you?
1: We can't afford not to live. as <laughs> Don't you know that, the was, f- cute. that was cute? Fidelity to our art and our craft and our cause. No yes. one else
0: can live with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the point you're yeah. trying to make. Who else would well, put up with us?
1: You know, it's we we have an, an internal almost binary code that we speak in yeah. and it would annoy people who, it who, doesn't annoy people around us but it would be hard to uh, communicate with a third yeah. party.
0: It, well, and I've noticed that. That's interesting you should say that because when I go to a shopping center or grocery store and there are couples there, restaurant, I, I don't know if you've noticed this but the couples that will sit together do speak the same language and that's not just French and Spanish or no. it's, you have to be able to talk to the person you're with. And yes. so, yeah, that, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that and in we, a long time. Well, we develop a shorthand.
1: We really, and we have to, because long. Yeah, everyone
0: does. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I sort of know where you're going. Not all the time, which is what makes <laughs> it always, always exciting and fun. And the, and we, the thing that I, I still like, this is episode 124, and I still like doing this podcast oh, with you. Oh, yeah. Because we still have just enough, non-overlap area in our Venn diagram. That we learn we can from can, each other, we and, and we learn from
0: our listeners, and that's where we want to go today. We had uh, a little dry spot with our correspondence coming in, and all of a sudden, we've gotten tons and tons and tons of letters, Yeah, and we're really grateful, I, and I want to thank everyone who's written to us in the past two months, but yeah. uh, this week has been busy, uh, both at the post office box and at our email address, and we're yeah. very, very grateful to hear from everyone, Uh, We got an email from someone who wants to be completely anonymous. I'm just going to say that they are from the United States and from the South. And they write, Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. I enjoy every minute of your podcasts. And sometimes I leave them on all night as they scroll through, which you can do at our website, by the way. If you click the player, it will just play the next one backwards as you go, which some people like to do in their workrooms or whatever.
1: It's like time travel.
0: It is. You're traveling back in time. (laughs) I enjoy every minute of your podcasts and sometimes I leave them on all night as they scroll through. And once on a Friday night, very late and in the fog of snooze, I heard Driftglass say during the wrap up, we know when you are sleeping. And I thought, what? (laughs) It cracked me up. Also, I want Driftglass to know that I read A Canticle for Leibowitz in 1975 or so.
1: Yay! Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was so excited and validated to hear him announce the title. He's the only one I know of who read that book. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah, well, it's a good book. From what I hear, I haven't read it, but...
1: (laughs) It's a canonical science fiction classic. It it is one of the ones you have to read.
0: Well, you you had me order Space Merchants.
1: I made you do it. So
0: I got that one, used copy of Space Merchants sitting here. So I'll be reading that. Uh, Everybody take a drink, by the way. (laughs) Continuing with the letter. And one last thing. A couple days ago, I watched book TV on C-SPAN, where Jonathan Haidt was talking about his book, The Righteous Mind. I was intrigued and almost downloaded it to my Kindle when I realized he was wholesale acknowledging the validity of the centrist position and calling himself a centrist. And, yes, that's exactly what he's doing. He talked about perceptions and predispositions and sacred issues, etc. I thought, oh, man, Drew Glass and Bluegal need to read this book and explain it to me. I think I need them to deconstruct this thing. And we have heard him on Bill Moyer's.
1: Yeah. And a couple other places talking about his book. And I was mostly mad just as an aside at Bill Moyers during that interview. For yeah, not for having asking one him on, hard even. question of yeah. this guy. He just sort of let him roll and that, that kind of disappointed me, Moyers. Yep. Yeah.
0: And a lot of people a lot of people wrote to Bill Moyers and said, What are you doing having this guy on? The guy was very fast talking and smart, but I know you guys could take him on. Still I was ambivalent about whether I should download the book until suddenly he uh, hate Jonathan Haidt said, he'd had lunch with David Brooks. (laughs) (sighs) Bam, that did it. And never in his discussion of his book did he address the idea that one is not entitled to their own facts and how to remedy and reconcile the one constant, the facts, when trying to have a productive dialogue across the aisle. And as another aside, you know, the Chicago Tribune actually put up an obituary for facts this week in, yeah. in relation to um, Alan West Alan West and the communist thing because what who cares who cares what the facts are yeah. you know yep <laughs> he did not mention hate did not mention that which you guys say is the most toxic and corrupt thing in media and politics today the fact that there is no real umpire to the facts. Of course, I did not download the book, so I don't know if hate ever did address the pointlessness of dialogue between groups such as the Holocaust and non-Holocaust camps, Yeah. the folks with memory and history, and the Etch-a-Sketcher revisionists. Oh, this reminds me. The very minute the Romney advisor used the term Etch-a-Sketch a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, my God, he's following Driftglass. He stole Driftglass's idea. He <laughs> that, did. He
1: that did. That wouldn't it's be true. the first
0: time anybody had true. done that. Yeah
1: wouldn't be the tenth time.
0: No. Regards and thanks for what you do. And thank you for that letter. We appreciate it so much. And we had a couple <clears> of good emails about this um, thing where the the person was complaining about how uh, liberals are so intolerant on Facebook and Twitter and they yeah. unfollow people that they disagree with. And someone wrote in and said, yeah, I'm really sorry. I unfollowed all those Nazi Holocaust deniers. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. I'm so intolerant of the Klan. And, you know, it, it's true that they, there are some places where intolerance is okay.
1: It's perfectly justified. You know.
0: <sighs> All right. You're going to read Letter 2. Thank you for that letter. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, And, and as, as far as tolerance and forgiveness goes, this is apropos of nothing, except I happen to remember that I believe it was Cosmo de' Medici who said, nowhere are we commanded to forgive our friends.
0: Interesting.
1: Only our enemies. Yeah. So yeah. take that. Liberal. Take that, I don't centrist know.
0: Democrats. I don't know. We what don't the hell have that to forgive. Yeah. 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 We don't. We don't have to forgive. Uh, see, now I'm just fried. Read that letter. <laughs> I don't. I'm just fried today. I'm sorry. I apologize. I it's been, uh, it's I apologize. been a
1: long week with a lot of physical and mental. Joe living.
0: Lieberman. We don't have to forgive Joe Lieberman.
1: No. He has to go. He has to go <laughs> to the cornfield. <laughs> All right, the second letter is from a listener who we will refer to as B, who actually used the professional left Jedi mind tricks at a public lecture. Yay! And here is what he writes Best regards from a religious listener. I am just writing to relate a story from this afternoon that could not have been made possible without the pro left podcast. Yay! Excellent. I have often heard you two discuss the importance of providing a quote vocabulary to challenge right-wingers and milquetoast centrists alike, but until recently, I hadn't been able to flex that particular muscle. However, I was fortunate enough to attend a lecture by a particular Washington Post opinion columnist by the name of Steve Perlstein. I had attended in hopes of learning something new, but it quickly became apparent that the subject of the speech was the same tired polarization, bipartisanship, both sides do it, claptrap, that I had become violently sick of, especially since I started listening to the professional left. And that's really the reaction we're shooting for. <laughs> when it, when it violently my,
0: sick. Just, yeah. Every time you hear both sides do it, you just ah. go,
1: blah. <laughs> the only cure for that is read a little science fiction and take a true <laughs> And back to the letter, back to B. A paraphrased example of the sort of reasoning on display was, quote, both sides have moved from attempting to win over moderates to motivating their extremist bases, leaving independents turned off by the political process. Man. If I, if I had a fucking nickel. <laughs> seriously. I could buy MSNBC or NBC and fire David Gregory. But in a stroke of luck returning to the letter, the lecture was followed by a and a session. And of course, I stuck up my hand and let me tell you, folks, Cannot emphasize how important that is. Take yep. advantage of your opportunities to challenge power.
0: And it's it's scary, and it requires courage.
1: Yes, but, but you're not it's okay you're to not, have your
0: question written on a card and read it because and yeah,
1: it doesn't have to be. It can be. This guy, as you'll hear, asked a very reasonable question. He didn't yeah, attack. He wasn't it was not be
0: nasty, right?
1: He asked the right question, and that's what's important. My question to him was this. Early in your lecture, you mentioned that the past 20 years have seen striking polarization on the part of both parties. But I'm having trouble thinking of an example of the mainstream Democratic Party platform (laughs) becoming more liberal in that time with the possible exception of gay rights. Nice touch. Mm -hmm. Could you give me an example of that? Of course, as the two of you and I both know, The, quote, both sides are equally extreme, unquote, lie is just that, a lie. So I took great pleasure in seeing Mr. Perlstein search his feeble mind for a shred of evidence to prove his point. To twist the knife, after five seconds or so of him trying to think of an example, I piped up and said, I see you're having the same problem as I am.
0: Yeah, now see, you didn't attack him. You went and said, see, you and I are the same. We're having this problem figuring out why you're lying. Yeah, why are you lying to me? <laughs> yeah, But he didn't put it that way. And the uh, audience doesn't then turn against you. You're just. Well, you're not you're, pooping in the punch bowl.
1: Well, you have become the journalist. Yeah. You have become the person asking the question that probably lots of people would damn well like to hear. Yeah. Because, you know, in every one of these. False equivalence is there's always a lot of Republican conservative examples and no liberal democratic examples. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, it was evident that Mr. Pearlstein was not accustomed to having his opinions disputed, and his eventual response was as cranky as it was incoherent. I'm shot.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that your podcast is helping challenge the Beltway media status quo one pissant questioner at a time. Keep up the great work. All the best. B. P.S. Mr. Perlstein twice called Daily Kos every bit as hateful as the evangelical right. When was the last time the Daily Kos advocated murdering doctors? I guess we'll have to wait for that answer as well. Yep. And I'd le- just like to add on to that as a, a something that a lot of our regular listeners, listeners already know. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I attended a lecture um, by David Brooks. And I filmed it, and it's available at my blog, and it's called All the Lies That Are His Life. But this woman, it was it was a, a discussion of theology. But this woman stood up in the audience and bravely asked the question, your theology says that you should be humble and circumspect, etc., etc., etc. That was the subject of the entire lecture. How do you reconcile that with all of the terrible things and intolerant things and mean things and ultimately wrong things, she said in a very polite way, you wrote about liberals and people who opposed the Iraq war. How do you reconcile what you just said in the pulpit with what you wrote yourself in magazines?
0: And she had a quote from him from well, she, National Review. also. She, 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 had one,
1: she had one on hand. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know that she read it. I don't recall if she read it, but, she, but I know what the quotes are. I have them on my blog. They're, they're famous. They're extensive. He, he basically got his New York Times job by being a complete out-and-out out war pimp and excoriating liberals at Asner and the rest of us who don the jewels of, of nuance and dance around in our liberal enclaves and pretend that, that this isn't a problem. He got his job on the New York Times by being a war pimp, by using his his weekly standard magazine where he wrote elbow to elbow with bloody Bill Crystal for years. And he got his promotion based on his lies. And she stood up and said, you said all these terrible things about liberals, but you just said that's a bad thing to do. How do you reconcile that? And his answer was, I don't believe I ever wrote any such thing. Wow. Well, and he lied. He stood in the pulpit of a goddamn church talking about theology, and he lied. And everyone in the audience knew he was yes, lying. Yes. There was no follow-up question. He And then he branched into a discussion about what he really thinks about Iraq.
0: Well, and the Middle East, and he said, uh, I've been all over the Middle East. Well, I haven't been to Iraq. And he-
1: And then he lied about what he'd said. Then he lied. He said, well, you know, it was a good idea, but it was poorly executed. And by the way, liberals make mistakes, too, because he has to always return to the great lie of centrism. So he left Iraq quickly behind, as almost everyone who's a complete fucking liar does, and said, well, you know, liberals said that the stimulus would work, and that didn't work, so everybody makes mistakes, which was also a series of smaller lies. So there are occasional public opportunities to ask them questions, this hard question. And I really appreciate that um, reader, writer, questioner B did this. And yes. thank you very much for... And, and I love the way it.
0: the way uh, B ended his letter of saying, we're challenging the Beltway Media status quo one pissant questioner at a time. Mm-hmm. I've been reading this week uh, a book about knitting and spirituality, and it talks about the... Small act done repeatedly over time makes a difference. And when (laughs) when you're knitting stitches, it takes a lot of stitches to make a sweater. you got to do them one at a time. When you're asking one pissant questioner at a time, doing that over time, over and over again. And the Beltway media recognizing that there are people out there who will call them on it. One at a time, one at a time. And just that small act done over time will make a difference.
1: And it's also a matter of – and this is something I have a problem with myself because I like to use lots of words. Why use five words when 12 will do? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's the writer in me. But paring your message down, um, those of us who lived through the, the Bush years – who were paying attention during the Bush years, who were on the liberal side, who were on the anti-war side during the Bush years. Remember how common Beltway wisdom was, those crazy, smelly, dirty, America-hating liberals who who hate soldiers, want us to lose, want our country sold out. They kept repeating the same loud lies over and over and over again, um, none of which we'd ever said, none of which we ever intended, none of which we... Uh, were rightly imputed to us, but they controlled the media. Michelle Malkin was on fucking television. These people were were on. These people were part and parcel of the mainstream media war delivery package. And yet, down in the trenches, way out on the fringes, or whatever, whatever metaphor you choose, we just kept repeating: Look at the facts. Look at what they said. Look at just. Sh- Ignore the noise, ignore what Limbaugh is saying, ignore what David Brooks is saying, ignore what Andrew Sullivan is saying. Look at the facts and judge for yourself. And we kept paring our message down and down and down to a finer and finer point until we could repeat it in one sentence to the drop of a hat under any circumstances. All the while, reality was nibbling away at the great lie of Iraq from the other side. And eventually, the whole thing came crashing down. Now, nobody in the media other than um, John Heilman, as far as I know, ever acknowledged that liberals were right about Iraq. They just pretended the whole thing never happened, like the whole Bush administration. They just pretended it never existed, and they moved on to the next set of lies. But staying at it and just persistently pushing on the same point over and over again, centrism is a lie. Show me evidence that one side – is exactly the same as the other. Show me the Democratic-slash-Liberal examples that counterbalance the Republican-slash-Conservative examples, and then we'll have a conversation. But if you can't prove it, you're a liar. Yep. Anyway, moving on.
0: Moving on. We have a few news items that might have skipped your attention this week, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk particularly about Newt Gingrich. Who? (laughs) (laughs) Newt Gingrich got so desperate for dollars this past week that he sold his mailing list Yeah, and a lot of people do this. Hillary Clinton did it. Uh, Usually, you know, it's sold in a way that is uh, not offensive to the list itself for the most part. You would sell your mailing list to someone who uh, already agreed with you on lots and lots of issues. And usually when things are filtered correctly, People don't object to receiving mail from similar organizations because you know you don't object to that. Um, We are not going to get into privacy and technology because that will take three and a half hours. (laughs) You're right. But I did want to talk about this list rental thing in terms of how much money is in it. Yeah. And it. It appears, I haven't been able to get confirmation of this, but it appears that Ron Paul has been renting out his list. Uh, A couple of years ago, he claimed the only person he gave his list to was Rand Paul. Mm -hmm. But there was a person um, who calls himself a reasonable libertarian uh, who complained on his Tumblr blog that he was starting to receive mail, he believes, based on the fact that he gave Ron Paul money. And the letter that he received from someone that he believes uh, got his address, got his email address from Ron Paul, is the Public Advocate of the United States. That's the name of the organization, who wrote him and said, Dear pro-family American, the radical homosexuals infiltrating the United States Congress have a plan. (laughs) Yes, they do. And, you know, this is... (laughs) This uh, goes no, back no. to communists too.
1: I was going to say, are, are these the are these homosexuals also communists? communists? Are those separate groups or <laughs> there's some overlap? Well, I, there's
0: a lot of overlap apparently. Because here's the rest of the letter: the the plan of the radical homosexuals infiltrating the United States Congress is indoctrinate an entire generation of American children with pro homosexual propaganda and eliminate traditional values from American society. I mean, this wow. letter could have been written in 1947.
1: they are onto us easily. They're they're totally on to us.
0: Their ultimate dream is to create a new America based on sexual promiscuity, in which the values you and I cherish are long forgotten. Mm -hmm. I hate to admit it, but if they pass the deceptively named Student Non-Discrimination Act, that's exactly what they'll do. Better named the Homosexual Classrooms Act. (laughs) Its chief advocate in Congress is Representative Jared Paulus, himself an open homosexual.
1: Open. He's and an open radical homosexual.
0: activist.
1: Uh-huh. Possibly and a dangerously as well. close.
0: It's a danger. Oh, he is. He is on the list. Yeah. He's on the list of the Progressive House Caucus. So. Yeah.
1: Well, communist. diston. There you <laughs> go.
0: <laughs> that interview <laughs> between. Uh, go ahead and, t- and tell r- the representative. I blocked out his name, Alan West. I just yeah. block out his name. Mm-hmm. And sold out O'Brien, who wanted him to name names.
1: Not Adam West, mind you. No. No Alan West West Alan
0: West mm-hmm. and well, call it whatever you want was his answer yeah. It's like yeah. no, you call them communists you said, Well, communists, progressives, socialists Statists. it's all the same thing
1: they're all the same thing progressives are the same as fascists are the same as communists and that. And, and that's and
0: why he has raised more money than any other congressman for his re-election campaign yeah, in
1: 2012. Because that's what the drooling, ignorant pig people want to hear. Yep. And the only flaw in our media, really, is that you are not allowed to just open handed slap someone who says that yep. and call them a fucking asshole lying douchebag to their face. Well, that'll face. just
0: raise more money for them if you did that. That's fine. So, you Ra- know. You
1: know, but it's all—it's—it's it's more money being drained out of the pockets of, of inbred crackers and that's fine
0: (laughs) well and and the person who wrote this was complaining about getting this anti-homosexual agenda letter based on having given money to ron paul ron paul is going to have a really hard time filtering email lists to get the 420 people and the radical anti-abortion anti- homosexual people who are all under his big umbrella you know if you if you want to filter that email you're going to you're definitely going to anger one side or the other. So he said, getting emails like this makes me far less likely to send more money to the Paul campaign. I suspect I'm not the only one who feels this way. I don't know how much money Ms. Dr. Paul got by selling his email list. And again, I don't have any confirmation that he did that. I'm just well, reading this email, reading this post. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't worth it. And my answer to that is, oh, yes, it was because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's big bucks. Oh yeah. It's big, big bucks. So, well –
1: and this is part of the reason – one of the things my late um, stepfather used to do because he was on – he mailed away for a lot of things. Was, oh, yeah. He changed his name every time he, s- he sent out a new yep. request.
0: Different middle initial over Different middle initial, different yeah, first name, yeah. different yep.
1: title, um, totally different name. He sent, he, and these were all legitimate. I mean mm-hmm. he sent off for the stuff that interested him, but he always – he shifted his alias.
0: Yep. And it kept repeatedly. a record it, of it, right? So that he'd know. And it
1: kept track of what was coming back from yep. where. Yep. Um and secondly, this is one of the reasons why I back when Barack Obama was running for president, I did have I just I still had a regular job. That was the last time I had a regular job. Mm. Um, and I I had a little money in my pocket. And but I was very careful to to contribute to the Obama campaign through cash donations only. Mm. I didn't That's give true. millions of dollars. I never I, I will never see that amount of money in my life. I but I went to poetry slams, public readings, public rallies and things like that where they passed the hat. And I was more than willing to support my candidate. And I, I did write checks to people who were out of state where that wasn't an option. But I really didn't want to go on anybody's mailing list. Yeah, yeah. And I I and I know that you can look up contribution and donation records for people and that's perfectly fine. And I it's not that I'm ashamed of it. It's that I really, really don't want my information sold. Whether it's my DNA record, which is data, or my mailing address or my preferences, I value my privacy. And and the erosion of privacy. See how I'm sneaking this in. The erosion of privacy by the sales of of your personal data. Whether it's a swab taken from a soldier's mouth so that they can identify his remains using DNA. That's great when you're 18, but when you're 40 and that information is sold to an insurance company. Not so good. So anyway, that's, that's my little shtick on privacy, that it comes – giving that information away comes with a cost. Yep. And it's cumulative. That information will pile up over the course of your lifetime until, until the government and companies have a pretty fairly good three-dimensional picture of who you are, what your records are, what your history is. That will be available for a price to all your future employers. It's <laughs> your- a
0: huge risk to take. I mean I finally at 45 or so said to myself, look, I don't ever want a job where me being a liberal is a problem. Yeah. So I stopped worrying yeah. about it. That yeah. cost me something, I'm sure, in terms yep. of future employment prospects. But I got to the point where I just went, look, if my being against Bush – is a problem for an employer. I don't want to work for that employer. Yep. So I, and I deeply respect people who are trying to keep their jobs by keeping their politics quiet. I just can't do it anymore. So well, I and just, this
1: is, that's and this it. is part, and that's, and you, this is where you and I are Venn diagrams part because yes, I, I right. had a job, I had a very, uh, very uh, demanding but rewarding job that paid my bills and a little bit more than that. Um, in an organization that you would ordinarily think would not be intolerant of liberal ideas, but it was it was a place where one phone call from someone who had clout but didn't like you mm-hmm. could cost you your job, and I'm not kidding. That's yeah. exactly how this organization works and worked, and I didn't want to lose my job, and I knew that there were people I worked with who despised me mm-hmm. <laughs> and who had friends yeah. and one or two phone calls from that person to one or two people in the machinery of the organization would have absolutely gotten me fired.
0: Yep.
1: So, and I respect oh, people
0: who have that challenge hanging over their heads. Yep. Um, getting anyway. back to the homosexual agenda.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's a good segue. The
0: radical that. homosexual agenda yes. not just of the regular taking nice over America,
1: agenda, which is about neatness and you know good fashion, and
0: we're you know not I mean. we're not going to talk too much about the Secret Service scandal. Um, no, no, but Tony Perkins says it was caused by open homosexuality. Yeah,
1: that's well. That's why we have that, you know, open homosexual and liquor law in in Illinois. <laughs> you can drive a car with closed homosexuality, and still, <laughs> you can't have it on the passenger side, and it can't be open.
0: <laughs> well, he said, you know, this is the problem: is that. Uh, if the reason that we had prostitutes uh, on the president's Secret Service detail yeah. is because we you know you have a total breakdown and you can't pick and choose being right or wrong
1: yeah so, or restrained yeah. apparently because the, the, they were buying lady prostitutes lady
0: prostitutes only as far as I could tell yeah it was so. but but open homosexuality is you know the problem for everything and and communism. And we're really getting back to paranoid politics. Uh, there has to be some conspiracy against America.
1: Everything from from earthquakes to weather to Secret Service agents not able to keep their dick in their pants all has to do with the gays and the communists. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and
1: if the, if that if you know someone who that makes sense to, then you know a conservative. Yep. And, and
0: it it really boils down to I think that that dichotomy between fear and love. There th- there are people that say there are only two emotions in the whole universe, fear and love, and everything else spills out from those two. Uh-huh. And if your politics is based on fear and getting people to listen to you is based on fear, and let's make you afraid and then we can get you to do what we want you to do. Uh-huh. And it's failing because more and more gays are coming out being normal people uh-huh. <laughs> that you just know in your neighborhood and in your church and in your oh. schools and oh.
1: They're normal and boring people just like me. Yeah. Oh. Just like the black folks were a generation ago. We, oh, they're need, not scary we need to or get aliens. there with they're,
0: liberals too. And have, I'm doing that a lot in church now and saying, you know, I'm one of those evil liberals you've heard about and yeah. I send my kids to school and we do homework and we serve macaroni and cheese and do all the stuff that you know I'm trying to raise my kids to be good people
1: well the, um,
0: and now all of a sudden it's like oh she's a liberal yeah how and there, and let me see if I can find a way to be afraid of her
1: yeah no she's oh, she not scary
0: comes to church and does stuff and volunteers and-
1: That's because you've never seen her knit she's terrifying
0: when she oh knows. my god
1: <laughs> um, there's a as a science fiction writer who's not Robert Heinlein actually he's one of Heinlein's fans he was once called the new Robert Heinlein Spider Robinson a, a hell of a good writer what a lot of the stuff I really liked and uh, lives in Canada and uh, uh, if you've never read Spider Robinson go look up Staramp so that still holds up pretty well he's a good writer but he had he, he wrote he in the 70s and early 80s he was part of that school of still writing very humane hopeful upbeat science fiction good hard science but it wasn't dystopian disaster which is what took the genre over and really drove me out of it. I'm, I'm not interested in reading any more about the future being a fucking hellhole. Um, but he had this lovely theory that has directly to do with love and hate, which is the law of conservation of pain, which is you, there's a certain quantity of emotional energy and you can, and it's conserved. You can't get rid of it. Um, and his, his story involved time travel and, and trying to change the past, and, he's, and he discovered, at least in the story, that pain can't you, – you can't get rid of that emotional energy, but you can convert it to joy,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: that there's a certain constant amount of emotional energy in the world, and where you direct it. And if you're around people who always want you to be afraid, who always want you to to side with them that those people are dangerous and they're out to destroy you, and there's no evidence of that. I should say that there really are bad people and they really do want to hurt you and they really do congregate under this one banner called conservatism. But if your friends just mindlessly repeat – that you should hate and fear gays just because they're gay. You should hate and fear black people. You should hate and fear liberals. Then you really need to get away from those people because they're, they're just a vortex of rage and paranoia. And down that black hole, you do not want to go.
0: But let me ask you something, Driftglass. What about – I have felt this week as though between the Obama camp and the Romney camp, there is an outraged tennis ball that's just being knocked from one side of the net to the other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm outraged about this. Or now that now it's the dog food. Now it's the cookie. Now it's the yeah. You know, and it it's,
1: well, it's the silly season. It's it a, it's, is, but it's also just
0: it's just draining. It's and
1: well, well this and, is I, I I absolutely agree with you. This is the time in the campaign where where the, where people are landing jabs. Mm-hmm. They're not swinging haymakers. They're just jab jab. They're, they're sizing their opponent up with with touch punches. Just here or there, seeing how fast they are, seeing what their reaction is. Tossing things out to gauge what the reaction is going to be, so they'll know what machinery is back there, what they have to face. Um, but this is something you and I talked about in our in our week long pregame, which is what we what we call our married life and conversation. Um, that the difference is, you can tell you're being lied to when the subject that the person is pissed about is the tone of voice.
0: Yeah. And we talked about this
1: before. Or the volume, you know,
0: and since I've been paying, we've been paying attention to that. I've heard it more and more and more of, Uh, you know, they just sound so angry or I really didn't like the president's tone when he was talking about the Ryan budget. Really? I'd I'd rather not talk about the facts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd rather not talk about the facts because then I lose. Right. So, you know, as they say, if the facts are on your side, argue the facts when they go against you, Argue the law, and the law goes against you. Pound on the table. Yeah, it's it, 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 if you if you catch someone arguing about decibel level and tone of voice, you're winning mm-hmm. because what that means is they cannot sustain an argument about the facts. And this is where the outrage tennis ball is legitimately a silly thing to worry about on, in the short term. But people who are angry about Barack Obama being a secret Kenyan Muslim who wasn't born in this country and wants to sell us out to his secret communist overlords.
0: I actually heard someone say that Barack Obama wants to take away my health care. A senior citizen yeah. said that Yeah, and seize your
1: reason. guns. He wants to take your guns wow.
0: away. Wow. no that
1: there's still even though that there's, out there. Well, yeah, I got an email a couple days ago about the differences between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats want to seize your guns and force you to eat vegetables and make you like gays. And Republicans like freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, I can go through that letter and knock down every single one of those fucking points. But why bother? Yeah, the person if the, if the person is dumb enough to believe that they're impervious to reason. Mm-hmm. But this is where the, the great lie of centrism and the great lie of both sides are equally loud and indignant falls apart. Because if you are angry about Barack Obama being the secret communist, blah, 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 conspirator. Then you are loud and you're indignant, and maybe you use some bad language, about something that's completely fucking made up, complete fiction, a complete product of your paranoid imagination fed to you by lying people who want your vote and your money. If you are angry about being lied into the Iraq War and having that war botched by the military-industrial complex and by oil executives who ran our country for eight years, then you might be every bit as loud as the right and every bit as sweary as the right, because frankly, the only way we ever got the media to listen to us was by screaming our fucking heads off. But what you're angry about is something that's real. It really happened. It really existed. And you should be mad about it. So when the argument is shifted to tone of voice and vocabulary and who said fuck and aren't they potty mouth and those vituperative foul mouth bloggers on the left. You know you're on to something because that means that person is desperate not to have a conversation about the facts because they'll lose. And end of my little rant.
0: Yeah. Well you're right. And, and notice it you'll notice it more and more as the season goes on, I think.
1: Yeah, listen for it. Because you listen cannot
0: for- argue math with someone. No. And this Ryan budget brings it up over, oh, you know, I'm really disappointed in the present dividing Americans.
1: Yeah, That was Ryan's
0: response to Barack Obama saying the math doesn't add up on your budget. You're and really disappointed.
1: Is, and this is something that other liberals and moderates, a trap they fall into, which is, oh, maybe if I just moderated my speech a little more. Maybe if I just asked more politely to stop being kicked in the teeth, they'll stop. No, they're not going to stop until you... Slap them down and hold them down until they've, yep. until this generation of lunatic conservatives have gone to their graves. We have to keep them sequestered from the rest of the, the decent folks like you and me.
0: <laughs> Speaking of intemperate conversations, yes. the bishop in Peoria, Illinois. Ah. I only found that out this morning that he's in Peoria. Road That's trip. Up the road. Road yeah. trip. Mm-hmm. From the pulpit compared Obama to Stalin and Hitler. Tax that man
1: directly. Well, first of all, tax that man.
0: Yeah.
1: And secondly, again, as you and I talked about yesterday, um, I appreciated the woman, the nun who was on, I believe, the Lawrence O'Donnell show. Yeah, she show, was on Lawrence. Last word. Very smart, very able, high high degree of conscience. You know, great conscience. Said, acting on your conscience is the highest calling. The Catholic Church has always said that, and I'm well within my rights to oppose this. Uh, and I agree with her and I think she is the church she is that sort of person is is the heart of any decent church Uh however having said that the Catholic structure is pray pay and obey it's designed to be a hierarchical totalitarian rule from the top because the top is infallible institution if you don't like that then that's not the church for you because that's how they fucking do things so you can be indignant about it, and I get that. And you can say this is stupid, and it's racist, and it's awful. And I'm not going to listen to it. But you know, that's <laughs> you know, you bought the ticket, now you got to take the ride. That I,
0: I want to differ with you on one level,
1: okay, class,
0: and that is oh, great. that there there has been a gentleman's agreement yes. between the Catholic Church and its
1: parishioners, and you called that something. What the bishops? Bishop's Bargain, right? Yeah,
0: Bishop's Bargain, right. That uh, You'll come to Mass, give money, and baptize your kids, mm-hmm. and bring them to Sunday school, and send them to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And in exchange for that, that perpetuates the institution of the church. Uh-huh. In exchange for that, we will not ask you why you have two kids and no more. <laughs> yes. And, and so, it, it's this truce has been going on for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful article back in February that Joan Walsh, who's a Catholic, wrote uh, when when the birth control issue exploded. And it was entitled Catholics Need to Preach What We Practice. Uh And she was pointing out that when 98% of Catholics use birth control, it's time to stand up and say, enough. We're not going to let the bishops, who are supposedly celibate, except in cases where they're raping little kids, Mm Tell, uh, instruct on policy that has really, if especially if it has nothing to do with them. If Obama has already caved and said, "No, we're going to let insurance companies deal with it, and this we won't make Catholic institutions pay directly for birth control," then the argument is over. And.
1: Oh. Catholic League doesn't believe that, but the, the, <laughs> boy, Lawrence League.
0: gave a smackdown to him last night.
1: Yeah, the Catholic, first of all, the Catholic League is not the Catholic Church. Let's be no. clear. It's it's one guy and a bunch of douchebags. One divorced uh, guy, as yeah.
0: as Lawrence pointed out last yeah. night. He's you a know? scumbag.
1: He's a scumbag yeah. who who straps a cross to his head and and declares himself the defender the, of
0: the faith. Yeah.
1: The other Pope. Yep. yep. What is this? This the 14th century? There are two popes, really. Yeah. Um. But secondly, I believe what you're saying is. I'm going to be a little bit wry now, is it still moves, which is what Galileo said Mm -hmm. when he was forced to recant, and 400 years later, the Catholic Church apologized and said it was wrong. I I agree with Joan Walsh, and if she wants to wait 250 years for the Catholic Church to finally fucking get around to this, that's great, but – well, the but vicious. there is
0: already rebellion going on. You know, the the, oh, yeah. the priests in Seattle who are standing mm-hmm. up to their bishop and saying, no, we're not going to go politic mm-hmm. against gay marriage mm-hmm. from the pulpit, even though you Me, told us to. And they've had standing ovations in their churches oh,
1: I, for doing all that. that I completely, and, and, and I believe the last time a group of protesters mm-hmm. stood up to the Catholic yeah. Church.
0: Yeah, they formed their own church, split. all the Protestants.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I, I, that's fine. Of course, Protestantism brought with it the worst of the anti-Semitic side yes, of Catholicism right. as well. Right. But, no, I, I'm all for a a vivid and vibrant discussion. But the bishop's bargain, and this is where I'm going to try to bridge two things that we're talking about. The bishop's bargain with the Catholic Church is very much like the moneyed establishment bargain within the GOP. Yeah, you,
0: yes,
1: it is. You keep bribing us with your votes and your support, and we won't look too carefully at the fact that you people are fucking crazy. And he, racist, is the right? Yeah. yeah. We will We will. We will ignore the fact that our base are racist lunatics,
0: and we won't notice One your Klan he, uniform in the closet, yeah. right? Right. And
1: and who and, and we'll ignore that. Yep. In exchange for which
0: you'll vote for you'll us vote unendingly. For us. Yes. Yes.
1: And flip that around. The bishop's bargain is we will ignore the fact that you are violating all of our dogma
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in exchange for which you will keep pretending that the Catholic hierarchy is a noble it's okay. and, uh, yeah.
0: institution. Yep.
1: Well, at the end of the day, once you sweat the details out, which of these two things survive? On the right, in, in conservative circles, eventually the fact that the base is really running things eventually overwhelms the establishment. Yes, it has That's with a tea party. Santorum.
0: Absolutely. Yep.
1: yep. And because you get pandering to them. Yep. On the on the on Catholic side, eventually either the hierarchy has to fall, or they have to they have to crush the base. Yeah, they have to tell them to shut up because. because
0: and in America, if you try to crush the base on birth control, and and uh, <clears throat> you, you know, the you're go, they're going to walk out. Exactly. So, so good luck with that.
1: There, there is this, and, and it's an ancient struggle. It's 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 the hierarchy of an organization versus the heart and soul of that organization. And once this is where Jesus comes in, frankly, once the law becomes oppressive and once the, the letter of the law becomes violative and insulting to the spirit of the law, someone has to come along or something has to come along to break that open and let what would the original intent was reemerge from the ossified crap that it's turned into. And I think it's a great and noble thing what those folks are doing, but it's still the goddamn Catholic Church, and we should still goddamn tax them. So there. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to get. I just. I wanted to point out something I noticed on my timeline today that um, it's the two-year anniversary of the BP oil spill, mm-hmm. and that Congress still hasn't enacted a single piece of legislation responding to the oil spill.
1: No, I'm, that can't be right. I've seen their commercials all the time, and the Gulf is back, honey. Uh, commercials Think
0: Progress points out that they have found eyeless shrimp, crabs without claws, fish with open lesions, and that 60% of the oil from the spill remains unaccounted for. Uh, so, yeah.
1: So you're talking? So basically, they're almost pre-nuggeted. Oh man! They're ready for. They're- that's good. Eating ready there. to be Eyeless a shrimp. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's you don't pretty. have to remove the eyes on the shrimp. You can just. Spooky. Yeah. Mm.
1: It, it tastes a little bit like capitalism. Can you start?
0: <laughs> It tastes just like <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. Let me tell Isles, you.
1: Eyeless, clawless, and lesions. Yeah. Welcome to life under yeah. unrestricted capitalism. Oh, brother.
0: And finally, uh. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the meme that Vice President Biden has been uh, playing lately, which is that the Republican Party has changed. This is not your father's Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And Margaret Talbot in The New Yorker had a really good article about the women's vote and how women voted for Ronald Reagan in 1980. And she wrote, it's possible that women were more conservative before 1980, but it's also possible that they placed a similar value value on social programs and government aid to the poor as they do now. Mm -hmm. And that they haven't changed at all but they did not see Republicans as so hostile to government as they do now. Mm -hmm. Possibly because Republicans weren't so hostile to government (laughs) as they are now. And the betrayal of the Reagan legacy is one of those stories that doesn't come out at the Republican National Convention. And another commenter pointed out, related to that, uh, regarding the... National Review Online purge of racists that we talked about last week. Yes. They said Republicans are so often falsely accused of racism these days because they are so often rightly accused of racism these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just getting back to that idea that it's not the voters who've changed, it's you, Republican Party. You're the ones that, and this is just what you were saying, you've been taken over by your wingnut clan racist fundamentalist base that's been doing all of the heavy lifting for you for 40 years.
1: And the reason they took over is that you cultivated them. You grew them. You pandered to them. You brought them in the door. This is Karl Rove's fault. And and you hired lots of Ivy League apologists. You hired people. And I mean this in in, in in an indirect way. But you hired people like David Brooks and Andrew Sullivan to Perfume over the stink of the racism and intolerance and fundamentalism that you were using to keep your party viable and make it a powerful institution, which it has become. But the, the reek from the base of your party is no longer perfumable. It's now reek sinking in the open. And the only thing you can do now is pretend you like the smell. You know what? Yep. There are lots of people in the GOP who love that smell. Yes, there who are. Who wallow in it, who revel in it. But you know those those nineteen eighties women I think didn't have a big problem with someone else's house being on fire. Now their house their is house on fire. Their
0: house is on fire, exactly.
1: Now the the Their golem birth has control is them. being
0: questioned and their sexuality is being questioned. Wow. Their rights are being questioned. I never And their right that. to equal <laughs> pay for equal work is being questioned. And I can go on and on and on. And they Speaking as one of the women voters out there, we mm-hmm. don't forget.
1: Oh, no. and, and it's almost like the Scott never-
0: Walker voting against equal pay for equal work mm-hmm. is so draconian. We're not going to forget that. And, and fortunately, no. I don't think the Democratic Party is going to let anyone forget that.
1: Go, you know, go rent Fantasia and watch The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this was this has been coming for decades. Yep. And there has been a group of people who told you this was going to happen. You told us to shut up and, and be quiet and that we were crazy and we were fringe lunatics. And you know what? Once again, the liberals are right and you were wrong. So, our, our
0: friend Rick Perlstein, who yeah. is no relation to Steve Perlstein at the mm-hmm. <laughs> at WAPO, uh, Rick Perlstein wrote something that caught my eye this week. Actually, I think it was John Per who sent it to me on email. And this quote is great. Someone asked a politician about the idea that rugged individualism was the key to America's success. And we're certainly hearing a lot of that these days. Yeah. This politician snapped back, "Rugged individualism is nothing but a political banner to cover up greed."
1: Yep. Who was that, that politician? Was,
0: that was not one of the progressive caucus communists who said that. <laughs> <laughs> that was George Romney. Yeah. And I think we could have a whole podcast dissecting the relationship between Mitt Romney and his dad. It's so bizarre.
1: Mm-hmm. Well it's it, it is in its own weird way, I suppose slightly reminiscent of George W. And well George that's H. what H. we've been noticing
0: this week with uh, Chris Matthews had something on about George H. W. Bush basically adopting Bill Clinton as his kid. Yeah. And to me, that's just so perfect and so hilarious because there's a technocrat yeah. in Bill Clinton looking at the pieces of how government works mm-hmm. and somebody who benefited from that so much in George H.W. <laughs> Bush. I mean, I don't I don't have a lot of respect for George H.W. Bush. I, I wish his son had been more like him. I'm sorry to say that. But, uh-huh. you know, George H.W. Bush lied a lot to the American people. Yeah, he did. Oh, he and... Did. and Uh, There is no forgiveness for that without repentance, but this relationship that the older Bush has with Clinton of being able to discuss things in practical ways, because one of the problems that – one of the real anguished feelings that George H.W. Bush had when his son started talking about war with Iraq was – you don't have an exit strategy. There is no yeah. exit. And he was—he didn't talk to his son because he stayed out of the White House and stayed mm-hmm. out of it, minded his own business. But he was telling a lot of people, "There's no exit strategy. This is awful. This is going to be bad. He well, has to have an exit strategy."
1: And the flip side of that coin was people like Bloody Bill Crystal, yeah, saying the big mistake the made. <laughs> well, the big mistake we made was was in in the. Gulf War, not going to Baghdad. Yeah,
0: Gulf War One.
1: right. He was the minute minute they pulled out, the the neoconservatives, that whole filthy wing, the the whole filthy neoconservative movement rose up on its hind legs and was screeching that, no, we need to finish this guy off. We need to go to Baghdad. And And George W. Bush said, that's not the mission. That's not what we signed up for. We did what we came for. And he fucked up a lot, and he made a lot of huge mistakes, and that's another three-hour podcast. But... It was
0: his, his mission those, was to liberate Kuwait and get out.
1: Yeah, and he made huge mistakes with a no-fly zone and letting Saddam Hussein have helicopters and a bunch of other fixed-wing aircraft, whatever, that let him liquidate his opposition. He says, "Rise up and we'll support you," and we didn't. Anyway, that, again, that's a three-hour podcast. But the short version is the entire project for a new American century, neoconservative, Kagan boys, Crystal, and the rest of them. Yeah. Um, went ballistic when he refused to basically raise the stakes and turn this into a world war. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. those people are all the people that his son brought into the White House, ushered in by Dick fucking Cheney. And they're waiting to go in again. Don't think they're not waiting
0: for their turn again. As Ann Romney says, it's our turn. It's their turn. They want to come back.
1: And Mitt Romney is surrounding himself with that same fucking crew. Absolutely. That same, you know, Absolutely. If, if we just bomb enough countries into oblivion. If we
0: just take the tanks that we rolled through Baghdad and roll them through Iran as well mm-hmm. and finish the job. And maybe, then, cut, you, know,
1: you know. And then, you know, take a quick turn to Syria. And yeah. believe me, this is, this is the conversation I was having at bars when Bush was riding high on the saddle. It was, you know, ah, it's. And these, you know, I was talking to conservatives who were telling me with that gruff, um, declarative tone that they sort, they knew what the plan was. Someone had apparently, someone of the White House had told every conservative in the world what the real plan was. Ah, yeah, we're taking these guys out. Then we're going after Syria. Then we're going after Iran. It's, it's all locked in place. This is what we're going to do. And you know, if you don't, if you're not with the program, fuck you, you America hating douchebag. And that was what was going to be. We're gonna, it doesn't really matter who we take out first because once we start chopping their heads off. It'll, they'll all fall like dominoes. I'm like, are you insane? Are you fucking insane? And I got the, you know, I got the conservative smirk because this was 2003 and 2004, and George W. Bush was an American hero, and neoconservatives were riding high. And, and, and you would think that it would take at least a generation for a, a failure as spectacular As the Bush administration was to be buried and forgotten, so that the scum, scummy second generation adherents of it, the neo -neo neoconservatives, could rise up and pretend that that never happened. But it's happened in five years, four years. They've forgotten everything that happened during the Bush administration and want to do it all over again and in spades. And Romney is surrounding himself with those people, and
0: that's your foreign policy.
1: That's it. You know, plug and play, baby. Plug and play.
0: So, watch out.
1: (laughs) Watch out. Don't vote for him. Don't vote for him. We would like to ask our
0: listeners not to vote for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I know this is going to get us kicked out of the Catholic Church, and and we're going to get taxed and shit, but, you know, that's just the price we pay for being the professional left, my friend. Oh,
0: man. We want to thank our listeners. You can listen to our podcast for free at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. At our Facebook page, I'm Francis Langham on Facebook. I'll be happy to friend you back if you friend me. We're on iTunes and through our great app available at the iTunes store. We're on the amazing Stitcher Radio and we are on Netroots Radio at netrootsradio.blogspot.com from 6 to 7 Pacific and 9 to 10 Eastern on Saturday nights. You can contribute to our podcast. We have had several people write us this week with $5 contributions saying, yes, here's your portion of my tax refund, and we appreciate what you do, and thank you very much. We appreciate your contributions. Uh, I got an email from one of our listeners out in California, and I wanted to read it to you. It is uh, here, Fran and Glass. I was appalled to hear you can't get 1% of your listeners to help by donating to the podcast. Actually, that's pretty typical of any charitable contribution type thing, getting 1%. And Although, we, this we that's a, a stretch for us. We, we aren't a charity. <laughs> we're, we're asking you to support our podcast work because that's how we get paid to do this, is through your donations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, But that's pretty typical of people asking for donations, getting 1% response. That's a stretch for us. We don't make 1% most weeks, but uh, we would like to. And uh, if you give to us, we appreciate so much you're doing that. Uh, I know how important your podcast is to me, our listener writes, and I know I'm in lots of company. I collect Social Security Disability and SSI. Fortunately, my fiance has a good job and puts up with me. And I have the best healthcare in the world. It's called MediMedi. It's Medicare and Medi Cal, which is California Medicaid. Anyone can get on this plan. All you have to do is lose everything and then get really sick.
1: Hey. <laughs> wow. Hey.
0: What a deal. Uh huh. Oh, I am sorry that that's happened to you, uh, to our correspondent. But I digress. The one thing I really need that isn't covered is therapy, and that is where the Professional Left Podcast comes in. I'm not even kidding. Rather than pay for some psych student in a sliding scale facility who may never get me, I will help you guys the little bit I can from time to time, because nothing is more important than my sanity. (laughs) <laughs> well good for you Yeah. and you keep me from falling into the black hole of cynicism oh I'm so glad we do that for you and thank you you can write us anytime at proleftpodcast at gmail.com that goes to both of us we also have a P.O. box where you can send letters and you can send donations we received a letter and a donation from mainland China this week we did that has that really happened awesome. a couple of times in the past two years uh, yeah. but we got a great letter hopefully I'll read it down the road, we're kind of running out of time today, but a great letter and a generous contribution from someone who had to mail it to us twice because it got sent back to her, and it just, it was complicated, but uh, we appreciate that letter so much, and we appreciate hearing from all of you all over the world. Our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791, and that address is at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. Every week, we post an Internet kitty to our website and Facebook page. And uh, this week, our Internet kitty is Toki. And Toki is very serious and has a really good pose. Uh, He is not amused by your 420 jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And his owner wrote to us and said, Toki doesn't eat live prey all the time, but when he does, he prefers dos mouses. Stay furry, my friend.
1: Be <laughs> furry, my friend.
0: You can write us send us your internet kitty photograph of your cat and we'll be happy to put them we as we say, it's not a wait list, it's a line of succession. Mm-hmm. And your cat will go into the line of succession and be on the throne of Internet kittydom. You're listening to the Professional F podcast. Professional. We didn't even talk about Tina Brown this week. No, we
1: didn't. No, no. And
0: her bullshit cover of a <sighs> fashion model wearing a satin blindfold. And it was yeah. so edgy and it's so yeah you know, kinky and ooh.
1: Please and, buy my fucking magazine, please, yeah. please buy my oh, fucking magazine. Oh God.
0: And then and then it was the article in there in the side was about. Oh, yeah, 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 women want power and authority in the workplace, but in the bedroom, they just want to surrender. So you know what that means.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: Oh, my gosh, it was such bullshit. But I sent that on Mm -hmm. to one of my favorite podcasters, who is Tracy over at Liberal Oasis, and she does a weekly thing called The Stabby Five. Mm-hmm. which is five people or issues where she would want to stab somebody in the face, but, but instead she gets her outrage and anger out on the podcast. Yes. And I said if I said to Tracy, I hope you will cover this because if you don't, then I have to, and there will be blood. <laughs> so yeah. go over and listen to Liberal Oasis this week. I do believe she's going to cover that in detail.
1: And I'm not saying that Newsweek was the best magazine ever or has been for years, but – But Tina Brown kills
0: journalism on a regular basis.
1: She just, you know,
0: it's awful, and
1: she has her playbook. She has the, you know, here are the five things we're going to do to make this a beautiful magazine, darling. We're going to make it great, yeah. And
0: and it's all about pleasing advertisers and being edgy and outrageous to get attention. I mean, I hate that we're giving your attention right now, but I saw her speak at uh, BlogHer a couple of years ago.
1: Yep, I remember.
0: And she had just gone over to Daily Beast to be online. I'm never going to print again, let me tell you. I love the immediacy of it. And we're meeting with advertisers on a regular basis and finding creative ways to wrap the advertising around the content. And they're so excited by it. And all these, you know, bloggers, women bloggers looking to make a buck with their mommy blogs are nodding and taking notes. And it was just so obscene. It was totally obscene what was going on there, and you know she's just she she's a killer of journalism. That's all I have to say. I'm just mad. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about
1: anybody else who also might be a um, controversial woman in the media world who has an online presence and a print presence who also kills journalism because that would be wrong of me to talk about that. Congratulations that on her wrong.
0: Pulitzer Prize. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well,
0: you know, it's, it, I was thinking about um, her, and it's okay to name Arianna Huffington. No. Oh, you're not allowed to no. say that name on the podcast? All right. No. Well, uh, it, I was thinking, you know, if she had said when she sold it to AOL, when she sold Huffington Post to AOL, mm-hmm. if she had said, everyone who's ever written for my blog before I sold it, I'm going to give them a free year of Amazon Prime, yeah, she would still have three hundred million dollars left over <laughs> for herself. Yeah, yeah. but it is—it's just about greed. It's yeah. you know, and and she could. would she would have bought so much goodwill if she had said, "I'm going to send a ten dollar pancake gift certificate to yeah. everybody who ever wrote because you know you participated in the success. Here's a free something to everyone who ever wrote for me." And she would still have hundreds of millions of dollars left over for herself.
1: Yeah. And she chose
0: not to do that. That's 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 not part of the business plan. I don't like her.
1: No. No. And I, like Walmart, there was great technical innovation in what was done, but it was done for such a uh, really deplorable and nakedly capitalist. Mm-hmm. It was it was a market. Oh look, the winds are, the winds have now shifted in this direction. Yep. I can here's how I can capitalize on that and t- and sail my career on and up a little bit further. And now that I'm done with you, I'm done with you. Thank you yep. for making me rich. Goodbye. Fuck you.
0: Yep. And that's and just. And she didn't she didn't even give any money to Lindsay Lohan's nipple.
1: No, which really
0: which really made her career.
1: It as totally, a yeah, <laughs> Set her apart. You know you can wrap ads around that nipple. <laughs> yes, wrap you wrap that nipple. We call it areola advertising, and it's it's the way.
0: Fabulous. Don't don't yeah. let Tina Brown hear that. No. That would be no, really just- bad.
1: <laughs> I have an idea.
0: Hey, Driftglass. Was- <laughs> hey, hey Driftglass. Yeah? How are the Internet kitties doing this week?
1: The Internet kitties want Ted Nugent to know that they've got his cat scratch fever right here. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, it doveing Let's forget about the whine and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life.
0: This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2012 Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast.
1: He does not eat live prey all the time. But when he does, he prefers those mouses. Stay furry, my friend.